Christianity. It's just not possible. Uh, Christian, you just can't do it. So remember, we come, uh, so we're coming to the end of that period now. Uh, some of you have already learned how difficult it can be to restructure your life a little bit to make this a priority. Sometimes it's just hard enough getting along to Sunday mornings, but remember what we're trying to push here. What we want our church to be built around is Sunday gatherings where we're together expressing our identity in Christ, smaller group fellowship group gatherings where you've got one of the elders of the church there who can help pastor and care for you, who knows what's going on, knows you in, in your life, and you're there um, serving and encouraging that group of people. And then what we're also saying is one lower layer down from that is we want to be having gospel-rich friendships. So we encourage you to meet up regularly, I say regularly, once a month, you need to do more really, don't you, once every um, week or every other couple, uh, every couple of weeks or something like that. And, we, and to be honest with you, part of what we've been doing is testing out whether or not that's something that's important to you. Because we're saying that's not negotiable at our church. Our church is going to be about relationally rich gospel relationships, you see? And if, you, if you're not on board with that, don't sign up to be a member. Does that make sense? We're saying membership has value. It's not irrelevant. It makes a difference. It's a group of people who corporately say we want to sit under Jesus together and in our context and in our place to fulfill what we know the Bible says, we think it will look like this, i.e. being committed on a Sunday gathering, looking out for one another and maybe meeting up to pray with one or two people through the week, going along to fellowship groups where you're making it easy to be pastored and to pastor and care for other people. So that's what we're pushing really, really hard. That's what we wanted you to see along this, this period of time. Um, and soon that's going to be coming to an end. And I'm really looking forward to this next month or so because I'll be getting on the phone to everybody who's a prospective member and saying, look, let's meet up, maybe just with me and you, or maybe me, you and your buddy, and we'll talk about how that's gone. And I'll ask you directly, I'll say, do you still want to be a member? Do you agree with the statement of faith? But more than that, do you agree that this is the community and this is the way in which you want to be nurtured, grown, be part of Christ's vision? Okay? So expect a phone call from me. I've only got six weeks until I disappear. So try and be as helpful to me in this as possible as I try and meet up with you and chat this specific issue through. And we're hoping that come round about Easter time, we will be able to have sort of something like a... Not quite, we want to instigate once a year a membership weekend where we recommit to one another and we remember what membership's about. But we will have some sort of service where we're welcoming in new members, we're making a big fuss about it because who we are together and how we live out our Christian faith really does matter corporately. We want to say this membership is really important. Okay. So we've gone through various things through the last uh, sessions, you, you, you know them as well as I do. Uh, to, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do next time. Next time we're, we're looking at a draft document which the elders have been working on, which the current members are going to be introduced to and have some time to work on next week at the members meeting, which we hope will be a document that is adopted, um, uh, shaped and adopted a little bit in the next few months. We're going to be looking at something called a membership covenant document. It's something that what we all do is we all agree to and say this is what defines the way we do relationship together. Everyone at Brewston, there was a song. Okay, it was a song that you could sing, a covenant song. Um, we're not going to sing it. Uh, so we're looking at a document that said, this is what it looks like to be a member of Speak Baptist Church. What it does is it takes the Bible principles of how Christian church families
it's supposed to relate to each other and, and have a vision together, takes the principles of that and says, are you in line with what the Bible says? Brilliant. But here's the next ask. Are you in line with how we've decided together in this local church to express that? Do you see that? So there are decisions that we make corporately that aren't biblical, but they're based on biblical principles. I'll give you an example of one. We meet at 10.45. You won't believe that, would you? 10.45 on a Sunday morning. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says you should meet at 10.45 on a Sunday morning. Nowhere. But some bright spark took the principle of saying we've got to meet regularly, probably on a Sunday. We need to agree a set time to make it as easy as possible. And together, everybody agreed, this is how we're going to fulfill that command. You see? So we've, we're not being, we're talking about being legalistic here. We're talk, sort of saying, as a corporate group, Bible important, principles important, we have to agree together, this is what it will look like for us to live this out. And what we're saying to you is, that membership covenant will come down, it'll, it'll highlight some of the principles about what we're, the values that we've got, the principles and how that works out. But for membership, we're saying we are on board with being part of a Sunday gathering, part of fellowship groups where we sit with elders and we're encouraged and we pastor each other and we get pastors, and gospel-rich friendships that we will make happen because it won't happen by accident. That will be the shape of our church family. Now, does anybody want to ask any questions about that? Does that come as a surprise to anybody? Cool, okay, good. Well, in that case, what we're going to do today, then, is we're going to look at one of the enemies to all those things. Uh, And it's a reality, but it can be an enemy. We're going to look at how restoring and renewing relationships in the local church is God's plan. You see, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were in a church of one, because then at least I get everything my way, and nobody ever disagrees with me, and uh, nobody ever hurts me, or I never get let down by anybody, and I never let anybody else down, and I sit in this big puddle of my own selfishness, and I play God. Uh, unfortunately, uh, or more point to the point, fortunately, the Lord in his wisdom put believers in Jesus together so that he could do a work in them, even by their coming together. So we're going to start to look at what happens when that's difficult. Now, I could talk about um, conflict and hurt situations that may be a long-term issues of maybe you've been the victim of crime, maybe you've uh, been treated very badly by somebody in your family, maybe you've done that towards somebody, maybe you've got problems in the workplace. All of those, the principles we're going to look at today about how we deal with conflict and difficult situations and broken relationships and being hurt, all of the principles that we're going to look at today apply to every relationship. But I haven't got time to show you illustrations of how that works out in every relationship and the, and the, and the working out of those principles. This one is about how we do relationship as a church family together. Does that make sense? Okay. I wonder some, would somebody pray for us just before we begin uh, and as we start to think into this. If don't mind, somebody just pray for us, will you? Help, uh, ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Brilliant. Okay, turn it for us, will you? Turn it 2 Corinthians, chapter 
Who do I blame? The other guy. Let me remember the word, the golden rule for every argument is always they started it and they did it worse. Every single time. And that's why we get so angry. But quite often what happens as we work through that, we realise we're not as innocent as we thought we were. Of course there are times when we are victimed and victimised by somebody else's cruelty. But even in the midst of that, we're going to find out there's things that we can do whereby the Lord will use that to humble us and show us something more of the greatness and the glory of Christ. So we're not foolish to think that church life is always going to be dead easy. There's going to be times when relationships hit a brick wall. The question is, what do we do? Um, well, this, well, yeah, it's not easy. Conflict abounds. Three things here. Number one, the Bible tells us to expect it. In virtually all of the New Testament letters, somebody somewhere is, uh, has let the side down. So if you've got this idea that church is full of the nice people and being members is always going to be easy, then you just need to reread your Bible. Because it's not. Because churches are full of sinners who needed to be saved by grace and are growing in Christ but haven't arrived yet. Um, and we're not supposed to, I suppose, the temptation is to avoid elements of church life where you get close to people, close enough to see that they're not everything they wish they were yet. Yeah, that's the opposite of what the New Testament encourages us to do. It's, we're supposed to move into deep relationship with people, even though it's a risky business and people will let you down, just as you will let other people down. So we to, um, expect conflict and difficulty, but then I've said to reject it. Why? We need to see that one of Satan's chief strategies for wrecking the purposes of Christ for the earth is division amongst his people undealt with conflict that, that turns and morphs into bitterness, frustration, self-righteousness, and pride. Nothing will flatten the gospel witness of a church more than people who do not resolve their issues biblically. Do we see that? We will have issues. We are supposed to stand out, not because we don't have issues, but because of the way we do deal with the issues. Does that make sense? It's really important. We will have confrontations. We will have conflict. We will have falling doubts. The issue is, how do we deal with it? Will we, we need to reject the world's and the influence of the enemy of our soul, his strategy for dealing with it, and we embrace the hope that Christ um, gives us and the strength that he gives us, which is that third one there. Embrace it. Okay. Please don't, I know they're scary sometimes when you've fallen out with someone and you're really cross and you feel aggrieved or you know you've let them down and you think it could never get dealt with. You don't have to be scared by it because it's a time to grow through it. Oh, I, I don't want to go into too many examples, but the, some, of the, some of you who've got close friendships or you've got a husband or a wife, some of the times where you've grown closer is as you've worked through your junk. So we can embrace this opportunity. It will be costly, it will be sacrificial, but it will demonstrate the love of Christ to others and it will demand that you pray and press into the love of Christ yourself. We see? Now, if it's not dealt with properly, conflicts will, or unresolved issues, will rob us of our time. So if, if, if people in church aren't dealing with this themselves, guess who it gets bumped up to? bumped up to the leaders whose job it is to pastor, lead, preach the word, set the vision, drive forward. And when their time is being taken up with dealing with people who need to learn to get along, 
Um, well, then the church is just robbed of its, its focus and its direction. There are, as we're going to see, times where it needs to be passed to other people and you need advocates alongside you, where it needs to be taken to the church. But generally speaking, most issues that pop up in church life could be dealt with if people just get together and work it through themselves. Okay? Well, those kind of conflicts rob us of time, they rob us of money, they rob us of energy because we spend so much time thinking about those, we're not thinking about the glory of Jesus. And worst of all, they rob him of his glory because our witness is diminished. People look at us, maybe you go into work and you've got a cob on with somebody else um, at church and you can't help it, it just floods out your mouth and you start bitching about somebody in your church family. So somebody who's not a believer and they're like, oh, told you, they're all a bunch of hypocrites in that place. Jesus makes no difference whatsoever. You see? So we want to learn to deal with this, all of this properly. Uh, and I'm, to bring you, to, to help you think about this, I'm leaning very, very heavily on what I think is the best book out there for general principles. It's a book called The Peacemaker. Make a note of that. The Peacemaker, here it is, by a guy called Ken Sand, or Sandy, I don't know how you pronounce it. And he runs an organisation called Peacemaker Ministries. I know it's very American. But I just think this is, Pretty, yeah, this is the best book on this thing. If you want one, buy one book about how to work through and resolve issues and relationships and how to be godly and how to trust the Lord, this is a great book. So I make no apologies. I've summarised a lot of what he's got to say and chucked a few other little bits in as well. Okay? So we've got four principles. We're going to work through them. Um, after each one, there'll be a little bit of time to, for question. Is that the mothership? So we've got these four principles. One is, if you put three sheets, glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, go and be reconciled, uh, hold on, sorry, one first, gently restore, then go and be reconciled. Okay? So let's, uh, let's begin, I'm oh, sorry, anybody got any questions, want to make any points at this stage? Blanked me. 
and you hear, okay? How in that moment can I please God? And you've got three options. The first two are the worldly ones, the third one is the godly one, okay? Option number one is try to escape, i.e. distance yourself. Say, fine, Sodom, see if I care. You back away. Now, quite often this doesn't happen on the first offence, but what happens is something like this. You see somebody who you doubt their sincerity of relationship towards you. Uh, maybe they do something that's a bit annoying, and you let it go the first time. Then it ha- pops up again, and then suddenly you start re 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 Well, you put these glasses on, which are judgmental glasses, and now everything they do, you're running through a grid of... And you, you're sort of replaying in your mind every conversation you've had with them, and you... Uh, and suddenly you're building up this big wad of evidence against them. And you are becoming judge, jury, and executioner. And on this situation, what you do is you decide the best means of, of dealing with this is escape, withdraw, move away. Anybody ever done that with somebody? And it goes like this. It's like, oh, I really don't want to cause them. I really don't want to cause any grief. It's best if I just move seats. And really, what you do, you don't deal with any issues with people at all. You just sit there and get more and more. And sooner or later, maybe it's the following week, if you serve people, or two years down the line, if you're another kind of person, it just comes out of conversation. Did, oh, I know, they did, I don't know. Oh. Anyway, can you move on? And what you've done is you've, you've turned that person into something. You escape. Now, generally speaking, if your response to being hurt or feeling slighted or the conflict or the, the issue is escape, generally speaking, the focus is you and how you feel about it. It's you and your needs and your rationalise. It's all about you. The other one that people tend to go on tends to be all about them and its attack. They're this and they're that. And I don't and sometimes you'll do it at the back of church, and sometimes you'll do it at another time, or more often than not, you'll just attack when they're not there. Did you hear what they said? It's a prayer point, don't you know? Yeah? So you've got move away from people, which tends to be, I think we're more often, because we're trying to be more respectful as Christians, tends to be the one we tend to do. But then there's the, just the outrageous attack. Have a go at somebody, run them down, and it just builds a head of steam like that. Okay? So if escape is all about you, attack tends to be all about, oh, that probably, okay? And there's the third one, which is reconcile, which is very, very hard work. And I need you to help me by getting a few um, Bible verses ready. Can somebody turn up Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6? Who's going to do that? Brilliant, got Debbie doing that one. Somebody going to turn up Luke 6, verse 27 to 28? Thank you, Elaine. Somebody going to do uh, Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Who's going to do that? Mark, thank you. Uh, somebody's going to do... Oh, I haven't got a verse for that one. Somebody get Romans 15, verse 5 to 7 ready for me, please. Okay. So, to reconcile, you've got to decide that the glory of God is more important than this being an easy thing for you to deal with and you do it in your way. You've got to be passionate about the name of Christ, and say, I trust Jesus, and I want his way to work through. I want, how can I please and honour him when somebody has made me feel bad, or has hurt something, or has damaged, or criticised, you get the idea, okay? So how to glorify the Lord? Well, firstly, what we do is we trust when we're worried. Somebody read that, who got that verse? Yeah? Trust in the Lord, or 
trust in the Lord. Now, why does the, that hit the road to say that, gentlemen? I'm talking very specifically here, because when you're annoyed with somebody, or when you feel somebody's wronged with you, it takes up so much of your emotional energy. And what you do is, in that moment, you're running through all the possible things that you could do, all the possible things that you should do, all the possible things that you would say to them if you had a chance. And in that moment, you, you, you build up a head of steam there, and it's going through, and you go to bed thinking about it, you wake up in the morning thinking about it, and it's, it's when really, what you're trying to do in that moment is play God. I'm going to fix this, and if I just think hard about enough about it, I'll fix it. In that moment, you have to say, right, no. I'm going to trust the Lord. I do have to think this through, but I don't need to obsess about it. I'm going to trust the Lord. Lord, there's this issue that's bothering me. I'm going to leave it with you. And you have to discipline yourself to say, I will think about it. Lord, help me to put it away. You're bigger. I trust in you. I trust in you with all of my heart. You'll lead me. I don't need to cover all the bases. That's what it means to glorify God. That's hard, isn't it? Especially if there's somebody who's really close to you and they've let you down. Um, so Jane comes in and she says, ah, this happened and I like that. And I 
and as she just winds down the stairs, so um, in what way haven't you been doing that with the Lord today? And she stops and she thinks, oh yeah, I've been ignoring him. I'm not giving him the recognition that he deserves. Oh yeah, I do exactly what they're doing to me. Or whatever the issue may be. You know, sometimes it takes a while to come around to, and sometimes it's just like, oh yeah. Now, it would flip it the other way around, and it works the same, and there's times when she just, she has to be much more gentle with me because I've got more of a temper, and um, she has to be more gentle than she is, and bless her, pointing out that what I get angry with people for doing, I'm actually, I've done to the Lord worse. Much worse. In fact, I've never had something bad done to me that I hadn't done worse to the Lord. So there's no place for my cockiness and arrogance. So I want to start imitating what I am living in, what I've received from the Lord. I want to start moving, copying that towards other people. And that last one, you want to acknowledge His grace. This is how He gets glory. He gets glory when you take the time afterwards to say, and I felt like this, and this was happening, but the Lord grabbed a hold of me, and He stopped me, and His grace was at work. This is something you need to do when things get dealt with, or when you've dialed it that down and realised that you've made a storm in a teacup. And you have to say, the Lord has kept me and sustained me in this. All of this brings a great testimony to, the, to who the Lord is. So who's got Romans 15, verse 5 to 7? Listen to this, the power of this. Who's got it? Brilliant, you would do. Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. glorifying God. It's a, it's a corporate thing with one mind together. As we're saying, do you know what? Whatever junk is happening amongst us, we're going to put this at right of centre. We want to glorify God. I want to tell you that I've been on the receiving end of some really gracious, godly, God-glorifying rebuke by people in this church family. They've got on the phone to me and said, Steve, can we meet up? I've said, yeah, what's it about? I said, we just want to talk to you about a couple of things I'm, I'm concerned about. And they've come and met me. And did they do it perfectly? No. Were they messy in it? Yes. They came humbly and they came graciously. And I sat to sit there and listen. And some of it I said, no, actually, you perceived it wrong. Maybe you need to do it. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Another thing I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm really sorry. Isn't the Lord great? Why don't we try and change and grow together for his glory? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And I want to just acknowledge God's grace. That wasn't my idea. Yeah. So, in your groups, while I go and get some, um, around your tables, uh, while I go and get the banoffee pie and start cutting it into Steve-sized chunks, um, could you have a go at questions one and two? Question one is, uh, which do you tend to want, no, I'm sorry, I think I was supposed to say what, what do you tend to want to do most when hurt or wronged, escape, attack or reconcile? Okay. How can we help each other seek to glorify God in this situation or these situations? Okay? You know what you've got to do? I'll come back in two or three minutes bearing cake. Alright? Work around your tables. Okay, let's uh, forget, the, forget the first question for a second. Second question, what did you guys, uh, what did you guys come up with on the second question then? How can we seek help? How can we help each other seek to glorify God in these kind of situations? I think. You think? Is, uh, because 
So we set the we set the ethos before we set the strategy, the feel. Okay. So pray for me about it. Jesus, 
it's, it's let yourself be humbled by the fact that you're not perfect and that you know how to trouble your troubles. Do you see that? Now that will make all the difference because it will shape, when you move towards people, it will shape the manner with which you go. Um, because so, so often our attempts to reconcile don't even get that far. They're just a slanging match of laying down the law. And quite often that happens because people um, don't recognise the golden rule. Can you see what I've written there? The golden rule is this. People usually treat us as we treat them. So if you come towards somebody when you move towards them and you're like, listen, you did this wrong, that was out of order, I can't believe you did this. Are you expecting them to stand there and go, oh, you're so right. Oh, why didn't I see that before? I wish I was more like you. That's fucking right. It doesn't happen. But if you come towards somebody with a humble heart to say, you know what, I reckon I wish I was better than I was. Praise the Lord that he's merciful to me. I've noticed that I might do this. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally changes the dynamic. If your first job is to yell at somebody or criticise somebody or gossip about somebody um, in order to get them to change their ways, um, number one, you're not recognising there's anything wrong with you. Number two, it's not, <laughs> you're, just gonna, you're not going to reconcile. You just drive a bigger wedge between them. So, and what do we want to think about this whole getting the log out of your own eye? Um, somebody look at for us um, Proverbs 19 verse 11. Somebody get look at um, James 4 verse 1 to 3 or 4. And then somebody else get 1 John 1 verse 9. Okay. So these are three ways, or three important parts of getting the log out of your own eye. Okay? Um, somebody read for us Proverbs 19, verse 11. Who's got that? Go for it, Andy. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is that his glory to overlook and face. Okay, he said, hold on, how does this work? Um, if, if because you realise you are um, a sinner, and you haven't got everything right, it gives you a unique position to be able to overlook another person's offence. Most issues, not all by any means, because some are more need to be dealt with uh, more thoroughly, but most issues at a low level will be dealt with if somebody is prepared to overlook an offence. Simple as that. Okay? Now what does it mean to overlook an offence? Simply this. You deliberately decide not to talk about or to dwell on something that you feel is a wrong towards you. Can I say that again? To overlook an offence is you decide deliberately not to talk about or to dwell on and probably out and let shape the relationship this issue. It comes up in 1 Peter chapter 4 where Peter tells us um, love covers over a multitude of sin. Because you come from a humble place of saying, you know what, I'm not perfect either, and the things that I do wrong, think wrong, say wrong, and this person probably isn't attacking me in a vicious way, then I'm probably tempted to blow this out of proportion. Uh, it's not a, a measured response. I'm, I'm, I'm judging the person's attitude, and I'm guessing what their motives were. What I'm going to do is, because I know I can do wonky things, I can be unthoughtful. On 
situations, the appropriate thing is to overlook it. And the way I do that is by deliberately deciding not to talk about it, to dwell on it, or let it shape the way I respond to this person. See that? And you do that out of the view of the fact that you've had to take the log out of your mind because you know you're like everybody else. Now, if you feel that somebody has gone out to hurt you and do you harm, I would suggest that you don't want to merely overlook the offence you need to address it. But if you, you review it and you think, you know what, they probably didn't meet us, they were, they were having a bad day, then you can overlook the offence. If, however, it keeps coming back and keeps bothering you, you, you need to go and address it. Next one. Uh, this is about knowing our own heart. James chapter 4, verse 1. Somebody read the first four verses for us, please. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Stop there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What does? They do. They do. That's what I say. What does the Bible say? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Go on, mate. Then they come from your desires that battle within you. Your desire. Sorry, you desire that you do not have. So you kill. You cover that you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you may ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you can get on your pleasures. Okay, stop there. What we've been told is a big expose as to what really makes you go to war. The reason you go to war is because there's something inside that is valuable, precious, and it may be a good thing or it may be a bad thing. There is something valuable and precious to you on the inside and somebody has messed with it. Somebody has threatened with it. Somebody has played around with it. Maybe it's your reputation and people have slighted you. Maybe it's your kids and they walk on water. Maybe it's um, opportunities that you've got or want and somebody's getting in the way of it. We say, hold on, they've wronged us, but most of all, we're, what we're doing is we're looking at it through the goggles of our own selfishness. And it's a controlling selfishness, and it means that people will go to war over it. A number of times that I've, I've either been involved with or been called out on something along the lines of, and you were doing this, 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 and this, and I was like, why? No. But it felt like, yeah, because that's something that's really precious to you, but really I wasn't messing with that at all. So, for example, there's the example of the um, uh, person who was really quite secure in church family life, really worried about how people perceived them. And on that particular morning, um, one of their close friends in church uh, whisked past them in church. They were sitting there, and the person who was at the front walked down, whisked past them, and uh, straight out the back door without doing what they'd done every other time, which was let on and say, oh, hi, good morning to you. You all right? And so the person sitting there, So 
think you will notice that um, uh, yeah, this is me confessing my sin to you. Okay, and I need to ask your forgiveness on this one, and you can call me out on it. Most of you, and the trainees particularly, will notice that on a Sunday morning before church, I am far from pleasant. Okay, in fact, I'm horrible. And the Lord is at work in me, trying to help me grow out of that. And it took me a while because to me, it felt right. Don't people know that stuff to do? But organise that, get that, and then turn up on time, and that isn't plugged in. What's going on? You don't do that over there like that. Oh, no. So I would, I, would, I would justify being rude to people, or blanking them, or tell them off ways in that right mind. I hear the training in there. No, no, yeah, yeah, isn't that right, mate? Yeah, he just let me get on with it and keep out of the way. Okay, so he did the escape thing, so he's bad. Um, Mark did that as well, he's a chicken. Um, and I, why? Because I really do want to believe that if I get everything right on a Sunday morning, somehow people will be, um, speak will be one for the gospel. Just by making sure everything's in order and set right and the music goes according to plan and we start on time. As if those things bring the power. I want to believe that I have that level of influence in speak. That by me just ordering everything up, people get wonderfully converted in the spiritual level. And every little indication that that isn't happening or I can't control that makes me angry, agitated, frustrated, critical of other people, unloving, and utterly self-absorbed. So I would be angry with people, and to me, it felt like it was their problem. Because you're unreliable, or you have to turn up on time, or you can't plug that thing in. No, you're useless. But really, my frustration towards people said a lot more about me than it did about everybody else. Do you see that? Who had the lot to take out the eye? Me. Go on, my son. You know, I said there's going to be people who fall out with in this room. Yeah? I'm talking to you. Yeah? You see that? So, listen, you've got to take the log out of your own eye because most of the time when you're frustrated and angry, it says more about you than it does about them. Now, that doesn't mean you look like they agree. Listen, I'm not diminishing the fact that people can be unloving and directly cruel to us, and we'll talk about that in a minute, okay? Look at your own heart. Say, hold on, why, does this, why do I feel threatened by this? Why does this matter to me so much? Why do I feel the need to go to war over this issue? And you'll probably learn something about yourself. Say, Lord, have mercy, forgive me. Next one, confess your wrong. That's part of getting the log out of the eye. Somebody read for us 1 John 1 verse 9. Think of 
ways that your pride has poured petrol on difficult situations. So it went, Whoa. how might it have been different if you had remembered Matthew 7, 30, uh, 3 to 5? Okay? Yeah? Have a go. But on this one, okay, how, to, how, how might it have got a bit differently if you'd stopped first? What would have been gained by slowing up and, and saying, hold on, humbling yourself and taking the log out of your own eye?
remembering that category of killing there, the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 tells us that we can kill people outwards, but if we so much as say rakar to somebody, which is you fool, or um, it's closer to you mean nothing to me, you're nothing. You've gone in the way. You know, I wish you were dead. Yeah. If you're saying that, if that's going on in your heart, if you're just like, you are an annoyance, I don't want in my life right now, and ugh, to you. It's not when we go like that to people. And it's interesting, let's just finish up in that James 4 section. In verse 7, what comes up? I think it's verse 7, what comes up? To adulteresses, what does the Lord say? But he gives us more grace. Hallelujah. <laughs> he gives us more grace. Yeah. So he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Yeah. Anyway, we'll say lots more on that at the end of the time. Listen, let's, let's move on. Let's go on to number 3. Gently restore... How can I, sorry, you have to fill in with a pen here because of a typo. How can I lovingly serve by helping others to take responsibility for their contribution to a conflict? And I want to suggest that this is, yeah, you have to be really careful here because obviously when we, if you've got a frustration that, if it's gone beyond the point of overlooking offence, and if it's the point where you feel that for the good of the person and for the glory of the gospel you need to work this thing through, then you want to, um, yeah, you, you, you need to move towards somebody. Okay, you need to move towards somebody. Have a look at Matthew 18, verse 15, please. Somebody read that for us. Oh, 
note to. Perhaps read it to us again, John, would you? 18 verse 15.
crack on with Matthew 18, 15 again and just say that initially you want to do it privately and you just want to do it between people. Uh, it depends on the nature of a wrong. Generally speaking, in the scriptures, if something is a public wrong and somebody is wronged and done something that is out there in public, it needs to be dealt with publicly. If it's something between a few people, it's private and deal with it privately. Do you see that? That makes sense. And so you want to be able to go to people and the vast majority of the issues will get dealt with. Um, we'll talk about going and taking it to the church in just a second, but the manner is incredibly... If you've gone through step one and two, to glorify God and take the hog out of your own eyes, your manner is incredibly important, this, isn't it? You will go, first of all, prayerfully. Lord, please, guard my heart, guard my mouth, so that I'm only speaking gracious and gentle words. Give me a heart for this person, even though I feel they've hurt me and wronged me. Lord, I want to go humbly, because I know I'm no better than them. You can only stay angry with somebody if you feel superior to them. I'd never do that. That's you feeling superior. I can't believe they did that to me. Listen, in each one of our hearts, there is the same seas that can do absolutely anything. I never cease to be amazed at how ugly, dark, selfish, sordid my heart can be. The thing, I'm so glad you can't see what I think, but you lot, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I can't see what you think. Because we'd, it's, it'd be like living in a horror film, wouldn't it? So when I move towards somebody, I go knowing that whatever they have or haven't done, I've done and I'm capable of doing. I'm not superior to them. I go to clarify. Listen, when that all happened, it felt to me as if this was what you were doing. Can I just run this one by you and check? Is that, is that what you meant to do? And most of the time, you tend to look, no, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, actually, I was doing this, this, and that. Oh, I'm really sorry. No, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't going to have to get you. Because usually by this stage, if we've had to get to the point where we're going to approach somebody, we've built it up into something. And none of us ever make our judgments on the facts. We always make our judgments on our interpretation of the facts. And they're always swung towards us. So we need to, first of all, you go to somebody and clarify and say, look, you know when that happened then? It felt to me as if you were trying to bump. Can, you, can we just talk about that? Have I got it wrong? And they stop and they think and then they'll answer and then you decide whether they're speaking in a gracious and just trustworthy not, uh, way or not. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be generous hearted. Um, reflect with them and say, so hold on, let, I've come to you and said this and you're saying this. Let me understand. Are you saying that what you were meant by that was such and such? Or, oh, right, okay. But if that's the case then, how do you think that made me feel? Yeah? You're just trying to do that. You, you're not, and you did this, and you did that. You're trying to just dialogue and reflect with people. You want to agree on things that, that what they see when you speak with people. You want to agree with them and say, when they see something that is right and true, you agree with them. You know, I'm really glad you've said that because you're right, aren't you? Oh, yes. Christians, we don't want to be like that. And you're dead right. But I can't help but think that um, when that, you were doing that, that's what, what you were doing. Or something, yeah. Agree where you can. Okay. Uh, and then James chapter 1 verse 19. This is a physiological question. James chapter 1 verse 19. Does anybody know it? Okay, this is a great one to learn. Parents, I think this could be written to parents. Um, nagging spouses, this could be written to you. School teachers, pastors, everybody. 
the Lord was glorified because we're best, best mates. Um, we know each other a bit more deeply. We know what we're pressing each other's buttons. Um, I certainly trust John much more than I ever did. And I, you know, Lord really trust me as well. Um, and so we really, it can, it can work. It clearly can. Uh, the other option would have been, effectively, the church, for all we know, might have got split. Yeah. It might not be over dramatic or anything like that. Um, so I think the Lord knew what he was talking about when he said Matthew 18 is important. It's interesting because the perception from the church was that we just thought, I just thought we should be in the same kind of time to put things all back up a bit in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that was just not the case. Yeah. So, okay, having said all of that, um, I just want to say if somebody's had to go through this thing, it's worth going through. Um, the Lord's great, and it's worth working through difficult relationships. Very quick, have a look at question four. Do you want to do that in your, your groups? Um, as we think on this, uh, oh, I think that's what I say, area, sorry. Oh, as we think on this area, no, no. No, 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 that's not. As we think on this, are there people you need to speak to? If so, how does this teaching from Matthew 18 help? What would stop you doing this? And then doing the talking with people. Okay? I'm just going to give you two minutes on this because we're running a little bit behind our schedule. Okay? Two minutes on this. Um, I suppose the big point is at the end, what are the things, the hesitancies about going and speaking to somebody? Reconciliation in less than 10 minutes. I think that's a bit ambitious, but we'll give it a go. Okay? So, Fourth principle. The first principle is glorify God. Second principle, get the log out of your own eye. Um, third principle, generally restore. Fourth principle, go and be reconciled. Okay? Aim, and this is what we're saying, aim and pray for full reconciliation as much as it depends on you. Okay? So Romans 12 verse 18 says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So there's realism there that says sometimes you can try and do all the right things and it's still incredibly difficult. Okay? But even if you are working towards it and praying towards it and doing as much as the Lord gives you strength to do, you are trying to overcome evil with good. You're trying to find a way through. Remember, peace isn't the cessation of battle in the Bible. Peace is a richness of relationship. It's you having a deeper sense of oneness with, in Christ, with those people. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, what does it tell us? It says, leave your spiritual religious stuff aside, go and get this dealt with first. Before you go to the Bible study, get it dealt with. Before you come along on Sunday mornings, work it through, open a dialogue. As, as much as it depends on you, aim for, pray for, full reconciliation as best you can. Okay? And this needs two factors, and they're different. Number one, you need forgiveness, and number two, you need um, uh, reconciliation. Right, first one, forgiveness. If you establish that you have wronged them, or they have wronged you, there needs to be forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is carrying a debt. Whenever somebody wrongs you, they rob something from you. They rob dignity, they rob opportunity, they rob... um, materially, something gets taken from you, there is an injury done to you in some way, and it builds and, and puts in place a debt. Uh, one of the Greek words for forgiveness is all around the debt language. Okay? So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is carrying the cost of that debt on yourself. 
Forgiveness is not a feeling. Don't be surprised if you don't get warm, fuzzy feelings towards somebody you're trying to forgive. Okay? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, we, it tell, tell, tells us that um, in, in the scriptures that the Lord has taken our sins um, as far as the east is as, uh, from the west. He's totally separated. And we're also told that he will remember not our sins against us. So forgiving somebody isn't forgetting what they've done. It's, it's carrying the debt and not making them pay for it. Do you see that? Very, very important. It's also not excusing. Some people say, oh, I can't forgive because it makes it seem as if what they did was a little thing. No, forgiveness is not excusing. Yeah, so it says, I remember that there's sins no more.
you, you're a great help to me asking lots of questions. Let me just let somebody else in.
So I, I, I think in the forgiveness language, I think you're very right. And most of the time, um, it, it, it depends on you know there's a tension between some, some people. Um, sometimes it's quite helpful to say, to go to somebody and say, you're probably not even aware of this, but something got said the other day, and it made me really get angry on the inside, and it was directed at you. And I realise this is totally, you, you probably don't even realise it, but I just want to say, um, uh, I'll ask the Lord to forgive me for that bitterness. I just wonder, would you forgive me as well? So that's quite often the right thing to do, isn't it? And you, uh, people stand there and go,
was horrible to you, and I didn't want to admit it there, but I try to drive you away, do more and more and more, that you were gracious and loving towards me. I just want to come and say I'm really sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. I can see that you're for me. Can we start a relationship again? And so reconciliation comes further down the line. See that? Okay. It often takes time and commitment, and it's a glorious thing. Romans 12.21 says, um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's beautiful. So listen, I, I've overcome on, on time. You've been overcome by time. Let me just put it all together. Because of Christ, we can and must respond to relational difficulties differently to the world. It'll be one of the things, it should be in speech. When everybody's like, boom or bust, this should be the place where we're seen as different. We won't be surprised that we're in as much grief as other people, but the way we deal with the grief, we don't want people coming to us and saying, you Christians are the same as everybody else. We will deal with it differently. Seize the opportunity to grow and glorify God through these struggles. The Lord's sovereign. Be active in sorting stuff out by faith and dependency in Christ. And pray for and work, work towards rich relationships in our church family. Now is that a church family that you want to be members of? Who agree that that's what we want to pursue? We're going to fall out. But with God's grace we're going to work it out. So Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And all God's people said...